Colossians chapter 3, and uh, let me open with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into our text and to our study today. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that as Paul prays and as he praises you, you are far more and abundantly able to do uh, the things that we could never even imagine. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are good and gracious. We thank you that in your uh, your perfect love and your predestinating grace, you have called a people to yourself. Uh, We thank you that you give us boldness and access with confidence to the throne of grace. Uh, We thank you that uh, you have shown us our needs through this passage and what we ought to pray for, and you have revealed the mystery of Christ in us, uh, which is the hope of the gospel. We pray that you would help us today as we we come before you, as we hear your word. Give us ears that are open, eyes that are clear, hearts that will believe, or do a work in your people that we cannot do in ourselves, and we pray that you would draw us in grace to yourself and show us more of your goodness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last week uh, we saw in Ephesians chapter 2 that it is the Lord who changes the fortunes of his people. Uh, We saw, although we did not get through the text, uh, we saw that the Lord raises the dead to new life. He reconciles those who are at enmity with one another in order to give them access together with the Father. And all of this, as we've seen already in Ephesians chapter 1, so in Ephesians chapter 2, again in Ephesians chapter 3, All of it happens in Christ. Uh, It is through our union with him uh, and by his powerful spirit connecting us to Christ that we receive all that Christ is for his people. And then uh, chapter 2 ended with this statement of God's people being built up together, uh, grown into this this temple filled with the Holy Spirit. And in, in some measure, that is going to be the beginning thought uh, that, that launches Paul into a prayer in chapter 3. Uh, now, again, last week we did not get through much of the text at all. That's my fault. I don't have a good track record for actually making it through uh, large portions of text in Sunday school, but today we're going to give it the old college try, and what we're going to try and do is have less of my thoughts, hopefully more of yours. Uh, but before we read this text, just a, a few words to orient us to what we're going to see here. If I was going to preach this whole chapter in one sermon, I wouldn't. Um, But if I had to, uh, I would preach it in four points. Uh, If I was to to preach it in going through Ephesians, we would preach it in two sermons. Each of those would have two points. But if if we have to look at the whole thing in in one go, it would be four points. And the main headings for those, uh, those points would be mystery, ministry, power, and praise. What we see in chapter three is that Paul is about to launch Uh, into a prayer for the Ephesians, and he interrupts himself. Uh, It is, as one commentator called, a grammatical hiatus. Uh, He begins a thought and never finishes it, and uh, and that's one of those fun places you can see the the human actor, the human agent behind the the divine word of God that we've received. Uh, But he begins uh, interrupting himself in his prayer by talking about this mystery that God has revealed. It's this new thing that that others haven't known in former days. Uh, And it is this idea of Jews and Gentiles together through the gospel. Uh, It's not something that Paul alone has been privileged to know, but it's an understanding that God has revealed to his holy apostles and his prophets, probably the same New Testament apostles and prophets that he referenced in chapter 2, verse 20. 
And then he goes on from this mystery of Jews and Gentiles together, because it's closely connected in his mind, to talk about his ministry as a Jew to Gentiles. Uh, this is something that is close to Paul's heart. Uh, it is, uh, you may recall, uh, because of his ministry to the Gentiles that Paul is imprisoned in the first place. Uh, and he'll point that out as, as we read uh, together today. And so Paul has this opportunity, moving from mystery to ministry, to reassure his friends in Ephesus with the story of what God is up to and to remind them uh, of, of the glory of God that is involved in all these things. And then he goes back, uh, he resumes his prayer in verse 14, uh, so that grammatical hiatus is, uh, is ended. He comes back to his prayer. And when he does, it is an overwhelming theme in this prayer that he is praying for God's power. You'll see language like power and strength and working and God's ability in, uh, in the benediction at the end. But it is Paul asking that the Lord would give his power to his people. Uh, spiritual strengthening in the inner man. And then Paul ends with one of the best known benedictions in the Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And it is this overflowing word of praise to God, uh, who he says is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And so he's building up these superlatives uh, and, and far more abundantly, not just abundantly, not just more abundantly, but far more abundantly. Uh, and he's showing us uh, this bold prayer for, for power that he gives to the Lord, God is able actually to meet. So with that, uh, let's read chapter 3, and then uh, we're going to get into discussion together with, uh, with some questions that we have for this text. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able 
to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, uh, as we look at this uh, passage, again, there's this hiatus. Paul begins uh, to head toward prayer, but he interrupts himself to describe his ministry and his imprisonment. Uh, and, uh, and again, I mentioned that this is one of those places we see the humanity of Paul. Uh, but it's interesting to, to wonder and think about what the Holy Spirit was doing allowing Paul uh, to take this rabbit trail and why the Holy Spirit left it in our text as we find it. Uh, what is the importance of Paul going off in a different direction here? What is, the, what is the benefit to the Ephesians of Paul taking this sidetrack and not getting directly to prayer? What encouragement uh, do they receive from this, uh, this diversion that Paul takes before his prayer? Take a minute and look at the text. Why do you think Paul takes this diversion? What's the encouragement that the Ephesians might receive from this? Cynthia first and then Landon. Yeah, so he's reminding them, right? He's about to get into prayer, but let me remind you of the basis of your prayer, right? Notice that, that he does that. He talks about Jews and Gentiles, and it's, it's squished in between these two references of access. Take a look back in chapter 2. Chapter 2, he says, uh, verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He's saying that Jews and Gentiles together, this great mystery, uh, it gives us access to the Father. And so for this reason, I, oh, hold on, let me tell you more about that access because it comes back to it, doesn't it? Doesn't it? He says we have boldness, verse 12 of chapter 3, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So he's reminding them, uh, almost demonstrating for them, uh, what does it look like to have access? Well, it's, it's to be together in the gospel. It's to have, uh, to have the ear of God, Jews and Gentiles together, and, and we can go together before his throne of grace and make our petitions. Good, so this idea, he's reminding them of who they are in Christ and what they have. Landon, were you going to say uh, something else, a, a different encouragement they might take from this? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and it gets even, uh, even closer than that, right? So we know, as Landon has just pointed out, 
that Paul was sent to the Gentiles. He, he calls himself in the New Testament the apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, he tells us in, um, uh, well, let's turn to Acts chapter 22. Let's go back and see this. We're, we're, uh, Acts chapter 22. And I'm going to ask uh, a volunteer, please, to read for us verses 17 through 21. A volunteer to read. Mike, could you do that? But, but notice the context here. This is uh, Paul arrested in the temple. Okay, So he's come back to Jerusalem. Uh, he's hoping to, to give some benefit to the, to the believers who are in Jerusalem. And then to be sent on his way to uh, to western frontiers, to Rome. Eventually, he's hoping to make his way to Spain, but instead, he is taken captive by some of the Jews who are there in the temple, um, and, uh, and uh, we hear his defense in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. So, uh, I'm sorry, 17. Mike, could you begin reading at 17 and through verse 21? So in reading this, uh, this is the end of, uh, of Paul's description of his calling in the Lord and his calling in his ministry. And so we're, we're beginning to go on a little bit of a diversion, but there are more connections in this passage in Acts with our section in chapter 3 of Ephesians. What else do you see there that connects to the things that he's talking about? He's talking about his former way of life, Right? Uh, they know that in every city I persecuted believers. They know that when Stephen was being stoned, I was there and I was watching over the garments. I was approving. So what is this, uh, how does this connect to what we see in Ephesians chapter 3? We're going to call on this side of the room, Scott. Yeah, least of the apostles, least, least of the saints, he says, not even the apostles. Right, and so he, uh, yeah, yeah, big debt. Um, it's it's not even that you know here's here's the hierarchy of Christians, right? There are apostles and prophets at the top, and then the rest of us. And Paul doesn't put himself right here; he puts himself way down here. Now that there's not really a hierarchy, but but there's one way of thinking about it, right? Uh, in classes of of benefits and gifts that the Lord has given to the church, the apostles and prophets are foundational. He said that in chapter two. It's not that he wasn't uh, the best of the apostles is that he was the least of the saints. He, he didn't deserve this. So he calls this God's grace upon him and upon his ministry. Good. Anything else that you see there? Dave. Yeah, and particularly, if you recall, uh, so Dave's saying that he was against the gospel, which is what brings the Gentiles in. If you recall Paul's earlier way of life, he was against the gospel going to the Jews, right? Uh, he didn't even want this way being preached and, and Jewish uh, brothers and sisters coming to know Christ the Messiah. 
but now, now that he has known Jesus, it pushes him even beyond the, the bounds of Israel uh, to go and, and to bring in others. And you can even see, recall uh, Galatians, the way that it makes him bold for the access that the Gentiles have. Bold enough to stand up to Peter, the other apostle, who's not working and, and living in line with the truth of the gospel, uh, but trying to make a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Good, good. Anything else we see? He is, a, he is an apostle to the Gentiles on behalf of them. Turn back to Acts chapter 21. The plot thickens. Uh, this is right before Paul's uh, defense in the temple, and this is uh, the, the point at which he is arrested. Could I have somebody read for us Acts chapter 21, verses 27 to 30? Acts 21, 27 to 30. Nick? So, uh, Paul is in the temple, and they're upset because they believe that he has transgressed this boundary. We skipped over this last time, but it's in the end of chapter 2, where Paul talks about uh, Christ being our peace. He breaks down in himself this wall of hostility, this division. Uh, the temple was arranged with, uh, with e eccentric, that is going out from the center, not concentric, which is going in toward the center, eccentric courtyards. Uh, and, uh, and closest to the temple was the courtyard of the Jews. That's where you could go if you were a male Jew. Outside of that was the courtyard of the women, which is where you could go if you are a female Jew. Outside of that, down 19 steps and surrounded by a wall with inscriptions that archaeologists have found threatening death for any foreigner who transgresses the boundary, is the court of the Gentiles. Right? So there's this huge separation uh, this literal wall that used to stand between where the Gentiles could go and have access to God's throne of grace and where the Jews could go to have access to the throne of God's grace. And one of the reasons that the Jews are upset is because they thought that Paul took not just a Gentile, but an Ephesian up those steps and past that boundary and into a place that he ought not to go. So Paul says in Ephesians 3 that I am a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And he means it. And they know it. And possibly by this time, Trophimus has gotten back to Ephesus and he's told them, here's what happened. I was with Paul and I, I didn't go past, but the Jews thought that I had and they came and they arrested him and, and Paul cares so deeply about us, right? Uh, so he's telling them, he's reminding them, he's demonstrating uh, through his willingness to, to bear these things and to encourage them with these things, that there really is access uh, that the Lord has given them. Good, good. 
Uh, notice that language uh, of Paul being, we, we just read it, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Uh, some translations have a prisoner of Christ Jesus, which I think is a little more accurate. Uh, what's the difference there? Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus or for Christ Jesus. What's his other option? Who would the world say he's a prisoner of? Ronnie? Man. Yeah. Nero. He's, he's Caesar's prisoner. Right? He's, uh, he's stuck in a cell. He's on his way to appeal to Caesar. Uh, he's been taken by the Jews first. He's been rescued by the, by the Romans. He's now been in Caesarea Philippi, waiting for two years. He's now in Rome, chained to some centurion, some guard. He is a prisoner of man. Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And he elevates God's, God's choice in this. He, he bears up all things for the name of Christ. F.F. Bruce says, Nero's prisoner, nothing of the sort. He is the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and that makes a world of difference. It renders him far freer than his jailers. Uh, and so this idea that Paul is, uh, is not cast down, he's not brokenhearted over the fact that he's in chains uh, for the Ephesians, but he uses it as he's about to go to prayer. Let me remind you why I'm so excited to pray for you. Let me remind you why we're together in the gospel in Christ Jesus. It's good. Anything else you see in this first section about, uh, about the mystery that Paul is talking about uh, that grabs you or, or uh, that maybe is unclear? What does Paul mean? Uh, I'm going to skip past that question I just gave you and give you another one. Uh, what does Paul mean by this mystery? What is the mystery? What is the significance of that language of calling it a mystery? Uh, and in what sense is this new information? He says it's a mystery that has not been revealed in former generations as it's now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets. So let's talk about that mystery. What do you see? What do you think? Ronnie? Good. So here's, here's one option of interpreting this, and this is a good option, Ronnie. Um, and, and the idea is, uh, there's a passage in 1 Peter, we won't turn there. Uh, but in the beginning of 1 Peter, Peter talks about uh, the apostles and prophets who foretold these things long ago, uh, and yet uh, inquired, desired to know these things, uh, and didn't know what time and what person the Holy Spirit in them was indicating when he spoke. And so there's this, this sort of murky foretelling this prophecy that, of course, you know, we read uh, Isaiah 53 and we go, it's Jesus, right? Obviously. How could anybody miss that? Uh, but before the fact, what's going on here, right? So one option is to say, well, it was foretold, but nobody connected the dots. And even the apostles, you know, Jesus was with his disciples and he told them over and over and over again, and they didn't get it. 
uh, and they were slow of heart to understand all that the apostles and uh, all that the prophets had spoken, and the Lord had to remind them and, and, and would send the Holy Spirit to bring these things to their memory. So that's one good option to understand this. Chris? Yeah, absolutely. So we do have these Old Testament prophecies uh, that we're waiting to see them fulfilled and to figure out how they'll be fulfilled. Isaiah 49 is an excellent one. It's a too light a thing that I, that I should not make you a, a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. I mean, you could go back to as far as, uh, as God's promises to Abraham, which we just studied. In you I will make all the families of the earth to be blessed. This has been a theme of God's working with his people and his covenant promises since the very beginning. Um, you know, it's not insignificant that the gospel shows up in Genesis chapter 3 in our first father, the father of all nations. Uh, and we, we spoke when we were going through uh, covenant, uh, Christ of the Covenants, we were talking about um, this, uh, this division between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Uh, and that it picks up this family line through Abraham and through the Hebrews, but it always was intended to be this, this worldwide thing. I saw Scott, and I also saw Mike, I think. What do you want to add to that, Scott? Yeah, and so notice that, uh, that visible aspect of what's going on here. Uh, there is reconciliation. Paul was talking about a temple being built up. In chapter 4, he'll talk about a body working together. This is corporate language, right? Uh, and, and this is this great picture that will be seen. Uh, we'll come back to that phrase about the rulers and the principalities and whatever that might mean. Yeah, I'm going to, but, but the idea that there's something bigger happening here, this is a mystery. So here's, here's one of the, the things that we need to understand about this mystery. Uh, it's not like a mystery novel that you get. Uh, you know, you go into the, uh, the library and there are all the paperbacks that, that you can get, uh, and there are all these whodunit mysteries, and you get your Agatha Christie, and you, you like to read these, and it's not, it's not a puzzle that, uh, that you have to figure out, Right? Um, it's, uh, it's a truth that God reveals. So here's how Alistair Begg puts it. And if you've listened to a lot of Alistair Begg, you can maybe hear his voice instead of mine. He says, this mystery is a truth arrived at, not through investigation or through speculation, but through revelation. Uh, this mystery is not something that humanity has to work out. And well, if, I can, if I can put the pieces together, I can know what God's doing. No, no, no. 
This is revealed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Apostles and the Prophets. Uh, and it has this worldwide uh, thing that we're going to see. I saw Mike, and then did I see Lee's hand? No, I just saw you nodding. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, something just kind of on my mind. Yeah. Yeah, and it's blasé almost for us now, because I would imagine that most of us sitting in this room are Gentiles. Uh, I don't know all of your backgrounds. Uh, there may be some Jewish heritage here, um, but most of us in this room are Gentiles, and so of course Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the same promise. Um, but this is wild uh, for the Jewish people. This is why even Peter, even an apostle, had a hard time getting in line with this, right? He was, he was easily drawn away when the Judaizers came into Galatia and he ceased eating with the Gentiles. Um, at true to form, the, the vision appears to Cornelius, uh, appears to Peter before the Cornelius episode, rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord. Uh, he, he always uh, puts those two words together that shouldn't be together. Uh, no, Lord, I've never eaten of anything unclean. And it's this picture and he says, God has revealed to me that what he calls clean, I should not call unclean. Now, there is an aspect here, uh, and we're dancing around it, and I think we're, we're doing a good job. There was a lot of this that was revealed and yet kind of murky. There is something that is absolutely new, and Mike, uh, Mike touched on it. Uh, and what is absolutely new is this phrase at the end of that. Uh, he says, this mystery is, right? He's going to declare God's revelation mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, and here's the new part, through the gospel. Now, of course, the Jews believed that the Gentiles could be partakers and fellow heirs and members of the same body, but it only happened by Gentiles becoming Jews. Right? You can see it even in that very small uh, statement from Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where, I go, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Now in the mind of the Old Testament believer, this is the only way that happened. Israel's God could only become the Gentiles' God if Israel's people first became the Gentiles' people. And so you had a division even between the God-fearers who drew near uh, in the, the first century days. They drew near to this God of Israel, but, but the men had not received the sign of circumcision yet. They hadn't gone all the way to convert to Judaism. Those were the proselytes. 
And so, of course, the Jews could come in, but they've got to become one of us first. And Paul is saying, no, this is unheard of, unacknowledged, unknown before the coming of Christ Jesus. This happens through the gospel. You go back to chapter 2. He himself is our peace. Not a covenant sign is our peace. Not, not the sign of Abraham. Not, not the promise that the Gentiles will become Jews and so will be Jews together. He says, no, uh, he's taken Jews and Gentiles, he's reconciled them into one new man so that in one new body he may present them to the Father. He's doing a completely new thing that is unheard of. Uh, the language in, in that verse, um, where is it? Uh, fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise. That's actually three words in the Greek, and each one has a version of that prefix sun or sim. So you know a symphony, uh, it's, it's all of the voices working together in one. Uh, and so here we have uh, these three words. I've got them, I won't read them because it won't make uh, much sense to hear them, but they all begin with sum, sin, or sun. Uh, and it's this idea that we're one body together, we're partakers together, we're members together, and he says this happens through the gospel. So this is absolutely new uh, that Paul is talking about. In fact, uh, I wish uh, I had the name of this commentator. His name is Klein Snodgrass. That's a wonderful name. Uh, Klein Snodgrass says the only reason why Paul was in prison was because he thought Gentiles had the same access to God that Jews did. If he had been content to be a Jewish Christian with a mission to Jews or... If he'd been willing to keep Gentiles on a lower plane, he would not have been in jail. Remember that when Paul was arrested and gave his defense, uh, we just read it in Acts uh, chapter 22. Let me turn back there. You don't have to turn back there. But in Acts 22, Paul gave his defense. And at the end, it says, uh, verse 21, this is the, the passage that Mike read. And he, that is, God said to me, this is Paul speaking, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now the very next verse, up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Why should he not be allowed to live? Because God's grace is being extended to the Gentiles. They had no conception that the mercy and forgiveness of God was for anyone other than the Jewish people. It was only by becoming a Jew they thought that you could receive salvation. Paul says this is new. Fellow heirs, partakers together, members of the same body, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ. Chris?
Absolutely. Keep that in mind when we come to Malachi chapter 2 today. The entire Jewish system was, was built on statements of what was clean and what was unclean, right? And to merge those two, to put the, the wrong thing in the right place, was blasphemy. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just ceremonially wrong, but it was an insult to God himself. And so that's why when Paul says, he will send me to the Gentiles, up to that word, they listened to him. And then they said, he doesn't even deserve to live. Why? Because he's a blasphemer, they thought. Uh, he is corrupting God's grace. That should be for us. And if they want it, good. But they've got to come in and they've got to become like we are. Good. All right. Now, we, we've talked a lot about this mystery. Uh, before we move on, uh, a little mention about Paul's ministry. Three times in this passage. Shows up in verse 2, shows up in verse 7, shows up in verse 8. Three times, Paul attributes his apostolic ministry to the grace of God. What's the significance of that language? We've spoken a little bit about this already. What's the significance of Paul saying his ministry is from the grace of God? What does it teach us? It's a gift. Okay, what do you have to do to deserve a gift? Have you ever deserved a gift in your life? If you did, if you did, was it a gift? Right? So I've got a goose egg in the back. Uh, Lee's giving me a big old zero. Uh, if it's a gift, you do not deserve it. Uh, if it's a wage, you deserve it. And we could turn to Romans 6 and see that. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are things we deserve and there are things we do not deserve. And Paul says, I don't deserve this. Least of the saints. But according to the grace of God's gift, he's given this to me. Okay. So it speaks of God's abundance toward Paul. What else does it speak of? Who decides who gets which gifts? God does, right? Christmas morning, our kids gather around the Christmas tree, and we say, no, that one has Neil's name on it. Benny, you can't open that. We've got one for you. But that one's for Neil, right? Uh, and, and Paul says, according to the stewardship of God's grace, this gift was given to me. It is God, so this, the idea of a steward there is one who apportions, right? And so God is apportioning to this one. He's apportioning to that one. He's apportioning to this one over here. And it's God who decides who gets what. Now, here's where the, the rubber meets the road, I think. What does this mean for those of us who are not apostles, right? Grand gift for Paul. The gift of going and preaching, making known the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, teaching others about life that is to be found in him. And what about you? What does that have to say about the stewardship of God's grace in your life and in your ministry? Ronnie? Ronnie? The idea and the language of the body is perfect here. 
right? Uh, can, can the hand say to the foot, because I'm not a foot, I'm not part of the body? No. Uh, but it's God who, who joins and works them all together, right? He's the one who decides where you fit in his kingdom. He's the one who decides what kind of ministry you have, even if you don't want the ministry you've got. Paul's excited about this ministry, right? He gets to go and preach. It, it wasn't easy. Uh, he, had, uh, he had sufferings. He had persecutions. He was in prison. He's writing this from prison. It wasn't easy to have the ministry that he had, but it should be a reminder to us not to grumble about the ministry that the Lord puts us into, right? Uh, your ministry is going to look different than mine does. Maybe your ministry is to an aging parent, right, who, who doesn't want to hear what you have to say to them. Maybe your ministry is to a coworker who likes to, uh, likes to malign your faith. Maybe your ministry is to a sibling. Maybe your ministry is to a teenage uh, child that's not walking with the Lord. Maybe it's any number of things. And we can easily grumble about where the Lord has put us instead of looking to Paul and saying, it's the stewardship of God's grace that puts us where we ought to be. Right? He brings ministry opportunities to us. He puts us where he wants us. Uh, and it's his decision where we go. There's some discernment that happens there. Pastor Andrew's about to go from one church to another. Should we wag our finger at him and say, now, 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 you need to be content with the Lord's stewardship? No, no, no. Uh, you can make decisions. You can, you can go places. You can find directions where the Lord might be leading you. Uh, but when a ministry shows up at your doorstep, we have no right to grumble about it. Mike. Yeah, so in a sense, we do have the same calling that Paul has. Not to the same peoples, not in the same ways, um, but, but God stewards his grace to us um, for the same ends, right? That Christ would be known. That's, that's the goal of what he's doing here. Sharon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's a, there's a potter and the clay idea behind there, isn't there? Um, you know, shall the workmanship say to, to him uh, who, who makes it, I don't like that good work that you prepared beforehand for me to walk in them. Uh, I'd rather do this over here. Um, no, uh, God stewards, God, God makes, uh, God forms us and, and makes us his workmanship because he's got a good plan uh, for the work that he calls us to. What will be the effect uh, what will be the effect of Paul's ministry? I knew we wouldn't make it. We made it further than we did last time. Uh, what will be the effect of Paul's ministry uh, if it is fulfilled? Think immediately uh, and think, uh, think expansively. How will, how will it be uh, seen or recognized? i point you back to Scott's statement earlier. Dave? Okay, so counting noses, right? Uh, how, many, how many seats uh, can you fill on a Sunday morning? So yeah, uh, I think that's true. Uh, and in fact, you see it over and over again in Acts. 
And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. As, as people are being converted, that's one of the effects of, of the ministry. That's being fulfilled uh, through him. Okay? Um, the mystery, where is it? Take a look at verse 10. Uh, this grace was given me to preach, he says, so that through the church, I wish we had more time to talk about that phrase, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Who are the rulers and the authorities? This is what Paul says will be the effect. The rulers and the authorities will know in the church that God is at work. heard this language anywhere else before? Where? Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Good, Teresa. Yeah, you've heard it before. Yeah. Chapter 6, we're going to get to the spiritual warfare. Yep. Yeah, and so that you can stand firm against all the schemes of the devil. But this is the same language that we already saw. Uh, in chapter 1, uh, Paul says that, um, uh, that uh, this powerful, it's this huge long sentence, we're coming in at the end, uh, that he raised Christ from the dead, seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He's talking about heavenly beings, okay? Well, maybe not heavenly beings, but spiritual beings. Old Testament saints, probably not. Probably not. So there are two main ideas about this. Calvin thinks that these are angels. I won't read you the quote, uh, but part of it he says, the preaching of the gospel exhibits the manifold grace of God with which till now the heavenly angels themselves were unacquainted. In fact, that's the other part of that Peter passage where he talks about the, uh, the apostles or the prophets in the Old Testament longing to figure out uh, what... Now, the Lord was indicating, and it says, um, uh, these are things into which the angels long to look. That's where that passage ends. And so it could be that Paul's talking about angels, rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It could also be in connection with the fact that Christ has been put above these rulers and authorities. Everything's under his feet. could be the fact that chapter 6, we're going to come back to spiritual warfare uh, issues and guarding against the schemes of the devil. Uh, that these are nefarious spiritual forces. Uh, in fact, this is, if you have the Reformation Study Bible, it says the rulers in the heavenly places, Paul's already mentioned, the prince of the power of the air, uh, chapter 2, he's going to return to the Christians' battle against their spiritual enemies. So, so for that, it seems to indicate maybe a, 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 an evil spiritual force. Um, and, and we saw that there. Whichever way you take it, uh, here's how F.F. F. Bruce puts it. He says, one thing at any rate is clear. We are parts of a larger whole, and we are destined to read an impressive lesson to the universe, an absorbing object of scrutiny to the observant hosts of light. Uh, he leans in the direction of angels, by the way. Uh, but whatever it is, God is doing something that is bigger than the church. But he's glorifying himself in the universe through the church he's gathering to himself. John. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and the other guy that 
Yeah, yeah. And, and connect that to what we're seeing here. What, what's the end game? Why does God allow Satan to do that? Well, because he's glorified. Right? His glory is seen in his servants. He's glorified in the end by Job, who learns to trust him, even though he doesn't know what God is doing. He certainly shows his power to Satan and proves him wrong. Uh, he gathers all of the, the other three who were giving Job bad advice in the meantime to now uh, come to Job and ask him to pray for them. Uh, so they have a respect of the God of Job. Uh, God is being glorified through his people. And there is this, this spiritual reality that we don't see that's behind the scenes that God is working out uh, because it fits his good pleasure, right? A plan before the foundation of the world to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and earth and below the earth. Uh, that sounds like spiritual realities, doesn't it? Um, and, and that's what the Lord is talking about, what he's doing in his church. Good. Um, boldness and access with confidence. And that is a good segue to this prayer that Paul has, and we will take five minutes uh, to cover verses 14 to 21. Uh, again, I'm impressed that we made it this far. I can't believe how, how far we've come uh, in just one class. Uh, what can we learn? Paul says that we have boldness and access with confidence, and then he prays this bold and confident prayer, the Ephesians in verses 14 to 19. What can we learn from Paul's prayer about what we ought to be praying for ourselves? Is that a hand, Jay? You're working on it. You're wor <laughs> We're going to call on Scott and we'll come back to you. What do we learn? We would live like we believe it. Yeah. You know, there's this, there's this wonderful dynamic that you see in Paul here uh, that should be true of all of God's people. Notice that he, he started with, for this reason, he interrupted himself, but he came back to that, for this reason. Uh, his prayer is grounded on the doctrine that he believes about the Lord. In our, in our spiritual lives, uh, we sometimes talk about the ordinary means of grace. Uh, one of those three ordinary means of grace is the Lord's Supper uh, and baptism, the sacraments. And that's something we can only do gathered together as God's people in the church. But there are others that we can do individually and that should be a part of our regular daily life all throughout our lives. And that's scripture reading and prayer. And when you think about those two ordinary means of grace, how God grows his people, you should think of it in terms of breathing, right? You breathe in, you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. And you continue to... Uh, to, to go through that same pattern. What is Paul doing? He's breathing in the truths of God and he's breathing them out in prayer. When we read the scriptures, it should fill us with truth about God that we then turn into prayer to the Lord. We have access. Let's go before him. We have forgiveness. Let's praise him. He is at work within us through the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's ask for power that we'd be transformed in the inner man. And there's this cycle of inhale and exhale. And that's what our, our Christian lives ought to look like. 
that as we read, we turn God's truth back into prayer to him. And so we look like we actually believe it. We do something with it. It doesn't just sit on the page uh, in front of us. Now we're ready for Jay's comment. Is Jay ready for Jay's comment? I may get the, uh, the author wrong. Somebody could correct me. I think it was J.B. Phillips wrote the book, and just the title tells you what you need to know. The, the book was called Your God is Too Small. Um, and that can be said of all of us, no matter what our understanding of God is. Our conception of God is always smaller than he actually is. And so this every family, all things, all the height and depth, this unfathomable depth that you could never comprehend, and yet I want you to know it. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, good, good. Thank you for that. What else do we learn about what we ought to be praying for ourselves, for the church, through Paul's prayer? Teresa. I like that, Teresa. I like that. Uh, the normal posture for prayer in Paul's day was standing. If you were going to pray, you stood up. Uh, you stood up, you looked to the heavens. Uh, Paul says, I bow my knees. It's, you're right, it's this humility language. And yet, he's humble with confidence, uh, which is something that we don't think about because we think about humility versus confidence in ourselves. We're either humble about who we are or we're confident about who we are. What Paul is giving us is that we can be humble about who we are and confident about who God is. And that's where our prayer life comes together, right? That we see how low, how little we, uh, we deserve, and yet we see how far more abundantly he's able to do than we could ever ask or imagine. And prayer connects those two realities. We're running out on time. Quickly, Scott, and very quickly, Chris. Good, good. Grounded in love and rooted and built up. We're going to see more of that in chapter 4 when he talks about the body building itself up together in love and each part works together. Absolutely. And then Chris.
Yep, absolutely. That's a great place to end, and we are going to do so. Uh, before I pray to close us, sorry, Jay, we're out of time. What's up? The hump, yes. Hashtag humblebrag. Uh, yeah, no, holy cow, that would be uh, a different, different religion. We don't do that. <laughs> All right, before I pray for us, uh, let me point out, I want to see this sheet in the hand of every man in our church. Uh, we are about to begin our summer Sunday school series, and the elders need your help leading those classes uh, this will be for male members in good standing at Redeemer. We are going to be going through our theme this year is great statements of the faith. Things that give us spiritual backbone when we read them. Things like, uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And we read that and we go, yes! We can do it, excuse me, we can do it because he can do it in us. I, I wasn't crying, I, was, I had a cough drop. <clears throat> um, <coughs> uh, we read that and we get excited, it gives us backbones. We're going to be studying great statements of the faith. On the front is a summary of what we need from the men who will lead these classes and some pointers to get you started. On the back is a very, very small list of some of these great statements. You can choose from one of these, you can come up with your own. If you come up with one of your own, Talk to me first. Let's make sure it's copacetic. Uh, there is no sign-up sheet today. That's on purpose. Normally, that would be because I haven't remembered to print out the sign-up sheet and give you the dates that you want. Today, it's because I want you to consider this and pray about this before you just jot your name down and pick a passage. So take this home, pray through it, read it. Come back next week. You can... You can take a date if you already know that there's a date that's good for you, but I'm holding back uh, because I want you to think about this text that you're going to use and you're going to lead our church through. So let me end in prayer and we'll have some uh, time of refreshment together. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are able to do more than we could ask or think. We pray that you would meet us in worship. Give us joy in you and in the Holy Spirit. And in Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray in his name. Amen.